Welcome back to the Defense Tech Podcast. I'm Civilian Sydney. As the name implies, I'm a civilian with no military government experience. And my mission for this podcast is to talk with experts in the defense tech industry who can provide their insight. This week, we're rounding out our first series, Behind the Scenes of Innovation, with guest Mike Broccoli, who I know will help provide deeper insight into our spotlight into microelectronics commons. Mike Broccoli is the Director of Program Management here at NSTXL. He's an experienced technical project manager and intelligence analyst, and has over 10 years of experience in security areas, such as identity intelligence, biometrics, data analysis, human-computer interaction, and counterterrorism. Given Mike's extensive experience in security and contracting, I'm excited to gain deeper insight into this aspect of government work and what it takes to be successful. Without further ado, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Mike Broccoli. Well, welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thank you so much for joining today. Um, I'm just going to start right out by asking if you can tell us a little bit about your background supporting the DOD and intelligence community. Yeah, sure thing. Thanks for having me today. Uh, so really, I began working my career with some grants for both the Department of Homeland Security, DHS, as well as the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST. And shortly after that, I started to work more in the defense sector. So first with the FBI and then the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, ODNI, uh, and then later SOCOM was the next agency or group I started to work with. And so a lot of experience with uh, th different three-letter agencies and at mm -hmm. that side of the house. And really from there, I uh, started to learn all the different practices, all the different fundamentals, so that when I came to NSTXL, mm -hmm. um, I was able to bring a lot of that different um, information and those different cultures over to to here. And uh, from there, it's it's been fun starting with NSTXL because I've mm -hmm. been able to take a lot of our processes, a lot of we do and sort of fine tune them to really further increase our, our, our throughput and our efficiency, uh, really to help the warfighter for our other transaction based contracts. Hmm. So you already answered part of my question that I'll ask, but you talked about how your your experience is mostly in security and here at NST Excel, it's it's more focused in contracting. How do you think your security experience kind of translates here? So we're in a unique spot in the OT transactions because a lot of my experience was in more FAR-based contracts and generally working very closely with our defense partners and with my, my, my government customers. And so coming to NSTXL, I definitely had to learn some different nomenclature, had to learn mm -hmm. how the authorities work from there. Uh, but that really opened me up to this different side of the house and really just how much more efficient we can do by using the OT. So mm -hmm. it's been cool to see sort of how the government has adapted something that's been around for a long time, but put a new spin on it in terms of how we get prototypes together, how we work that through the process, and really, again, at the end of the day, making sure that we are coming up with this way to help the warfighter. So a little bit of a, of a, a learning curve there, yeah. but it's been like I said, I've been able to sort of bring a different side of the house of my my intimate experience working with all those different government customers to show both what we're doing in, in other parts of the government, uh, but also learning myself for the OT side of things. Yeah, yeah. And you have an extensive background in security, including biometric research and counterterrorism operations. What can you tell us about the status of biometric security in the U.S. right now and maybe some of the new technology that you're excited about? It's interesting to see a big shift in how we perceive biometrics and, you know, mm -hmm. what sort of the U.S. population thinks of them 
Uh, when I first started in the field, you know, this was pre-selfie, so the biometrics <laughs> were kind of scary. Uh, yeah. People associated them with either um, being surveilled, like it was going to be an, an infraction mm. of their privacy, or they think about fingerprints and it was, oh, you know, I'm getting my mugshot because I'm getting arrested, or I'm getting my fingerprints because I'm getting arrested. Mm -hmm. Uh, the the cell phone, the iPhone, that really changed everything of putting yeah. the fingerprint reader on there and now everything through, through Face ID and all the different ways we use it, uh, whether it's logging into our bank account, ordering food, anything on our phone. Uh, it really has a big been a big shift in, in really pri privacy and biometrics. Uh, and along with that, probably the biggest area that the government has then changed is how we adapt the airline industry. So all the different airlines have either partner programs or ways that they're doing security using biometrics, um, mm -hmm. as well as when you go into the airport, you see things like Clear or Global Entry or Nexus mm -hmm. or even mm -hmm. just standard TSA now taking that photo and holding it for a short time to make sure that, you know, privacy concerns are still taken into account. Uh, mm -hmm. But overall, people are just much more, much more just open to the idea of using biometrics, and they've seen mm -hmm. the the speed and the security that biometrics really provide. So it's it's been a cool sort of landscape shift, uh, and then technology also has just as a result changed, improved, gotten so much better. Where face recognition used to be sort of a it was it was a low security biometric. It was an easy mm -hmm. one to implement, but wasn't that great. And now with 3D face recognition and again, everything that's been uh, innovated around it, it's become a, a very, very strong biometric. So it, it is something that we put low fidelity in, yeah. uh, but now now we have a lot of fidelity in. Wow, that's fascinating. Are you are you an iPhone user? Do you have the face ID on your phone? I am. I am. I use it. I love it. And I, <laughs> I I think it's awesome that we've gotten to a place where we can essentially trust so much of our of our information and our technology with biometrics. And yeah, it's actually the the, tech, the companies have done a lot of very cool things too to put separate shifts to put essentially like a privacy or a secure enclave. Oh, okay. in the device to make sure uh -huh. that those things don't share out or that if you okay. have a third-party app they don't actually get access to your raw biometric so right. there's been very good safeguards put in place uh which i'm very happy about as a, as a privacy person yeah. myself uh but again I, I i'm a big fan of it and a big believer in that <laughs> kind of technology i'm kind of surprised i thought as a security person you're going to be like oh yeah it scares me but it's interesting that you're such a proponent i like it um so I kind of want to talk about a different type of security. Um, so I've chatted in a previous episode with Mike Dodd, and we talked all about the chips crisis. Do you see a strong need for innovation in the U.S. like in that realm with chips and security? Yes, the U.S. has always always done a great job innovating in the microelectronics space and in the semiconductor spaces. But I think one of our, our bigger mistakes is sort of how those things are created and how those things are packaged. Pandemic, the pandemic was a really big eye opener because we saw how much it affected our day to day lives and how much that anything we relied on, you know, outsourcing really just came to a grinding halt that yeah. there's so much we use on a day to day basis that's, you know, smart now between our, our smart fridges, our phones, our cars, just the sheer number of these things that we need in our day to day lives. Uh, we need to be bringing a lot of that back home to ensure that we're not relying on our party or on you know third parties mm -hmm. not relying on other countries and seeing how much that we can bring back home to to the united states um so mm -hmm. one of the things we're doing through the chips and science act is working with small companies we're working with startups we're working with non-traditional defense contractors 
And we're bringing them into this bigger landscape so that we can get their innovations, we can get their new and novel technologies, start to work with other companies, work through our hubs, that's what we'll talk about later today, I'm sure, um, to see how we can really just fortify these technologies and mm-hmm. bring them into into DoD components. Yeah. Um, and and again, these are some of these some of these very small companies. They've just been doing it at a very small scale. They've been working yeah. with investor dollars or working with um, you know really small research grants. And so it's very cool now to see how we can really build that technology up and adapt it into into U.S. defense and into things that that the Department of Defense crucially needs, as well as the uh, United States. Like I said, just through through our automotives and through our different technology, making sure that we have a good foundation and that we have a lot that we, we can bring home. We don't have to rely on uh, TSMC or Taiwan uh, that we're, we're, we're making it here and we're making sure that it is passing everything we need it to. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good answer. So you kind of already mentioned and like, especially with microelectronics comments, but what role do you think maybe comments and other programs uh, NSTXL play in that um, security need? So for NSTXL, we do a good job to be postured between those companies who are doing that innovation, who have those novel ideas, as well as the government who has the needs. They understand where we need to go as a country and as a uh, and as a government. So we work very, very closely to understand the needs, understand the requirements, and work with those performers and our, our, our subcontractors okay. really to make sure that it in all of those. So we work very, very closely to ensure that mm-hmm. timelines are met. We are pulling together deliverables. We're making sure it meets those specifications. And through the prototype realm, um, sometimes things fail. And that is okay yeah. uh, with our framework. Uh, I'm a big fan of the quote, fail early, fail often, but always fail mm-hmm. forward. So with our mm-hmm. prototypes, uh, we, we always want a successful prototype. We want to move the ball forward. But even in the prototype realm, if we have something that doesn't work or doesn't meet exactly what we're looking for, we can still get that information. We can still learn for, from it. And mm-hmm. by sharing that information back on out to the government and to the Defar- Department of Defense, uh, we can make sure that those small increases or those small innovations take place throughout everything mm-hmm. we're building. And so that prototype version two or that version three, we're continuing to innovate, continuing to improve, and really just moving the ball forward with what we're doing in the microelectronic space. Yeah, I really like that too. It was fail early, fail forward. Uh, fail early, fail often, but always fail forward. Oh, I like that. That's cool. Well, yeah, all that being said, I know that you support NSTXL as Director of Program Management. Um, with that, you also started to manage the project success team. Can you tell me more about that and what project success looks like here? So we work very closely with both the government team and the performers to really ensure that the projects meet what they're supposed to and that we stay on a schedule, on a budget, and within Mm -hmm. those technical specifications as closely Mm -hmm. as possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, The OT realm gives us a lot of flexibility that should something need to change, as long as it's still within the scope of what was initially planned, uh, we can do contract modifications to really make sure Mm -hmm. that we are adhering to some of those unexpected things, whether it's a very long lead time for a piece of equipment, a slight change to the technical specifications due to something we learned throughout the process, 
um, any of those changes or new risks or, that we are encountering throughout the project. Uh, we work very closely to get ahead of those things, collect them, and make sure we're all on the same page. Mm -hmm. uh, previously at NSDXL, we did a really good job from the contractual side of the house to get those contracts in place, get them in place quickly. You know, we streamlined that process really, really well. But what my team does is to work in that post-award realm. So once we have the contract in place, really make sure that we are thinking about, okay, what kind of additional options can we work on this contract? Mm -hmm. Maybe mm -hmm. there's additional funding where we can do something a little bit different, a little bit more novel on this project, um, or starting to explore other phases. So taking it from a phase zero to a phase one, or a phase one to phase two, or even starting to talk about actual production or follow-on production from that prototype of, great, we made three of them, we tested them, but there's another section of the government who could really you could really see a benefit from having three of these or 10 of these or something. Hey. So we can start to have those conversations and have those conversations early so that it's not just a it's not just a one and done. We're actually seeing, OK, yeah. we can also do this or the performer realized or learned throughout this process. Um, we can change a small thing that's going to give us a little bit more output. Uh, having those conversations is mm. one of the big things that I, I challenge my team to to look for and to be ahead of the curve so that we don't want to end a project and then start that conversation. Mm -hmm. We want to be having that conversation throughout the life of the project, looking for those new opportunities. Mm. Yeah, thank you for explaining that. That honestly helps me a lot. I know a little bit about what the contracting team does, but this really helps put it in perspective. Um, so now I'd like to talk a little bit about microelectronics commons. Um, my understanding is that commons is functioning differently than a traditional project would. Um, we have eight hubs that will all be submitted, submitting on different projects and that all manage extended networks of performers. How do you envision project success to look like in supporting that effort? So it's an exciting time for both our company because of this new challenge, uh, mm -hmm. but also for the United States just un with this funding under the Chips and Science Act. Yeah. Uh, but really, our goal is to help guide those eight hubs through the OT framework. And mm -hmm. then it's really going to get both tricky and fun when the projects are awarded, just because mm -hmm. there's going to be so many projects coming down through this. And we're going to be working with, again, so many different non-traditional defense contractors and those small startups to support both the hub but also to support the greater structure that, that's being set mm. up here. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be working with a lot of different organizations, going to be working with a lot of different timelines, milestone schedules, deliverables. Uh, so we're going to really need to have our have our stuff together to be yeah. tracking all those and also to be sharing out and making sure we're, we're, we are staying Again, on time, on budget, with these sorts of things. So yeah. um, it's going to be it's going to be a fun challenge to solve, and I am excited for for that challenge to uh, really just help to increase these technology readiness levels and get these prototypes in, in the hands of the people who need them. Yeah, fun challenge is a very positive way to say <laughs> that. I like that. <laughs> okay, one more question for you. Um, considering your experience with security and now your role here at NSTXL. What improvements do you see happening in U.S. security in the next five years or so? What do you think the main government focus is right now and what it should be in the future as microelectronics commons, you know, starts pushing out projects? I think we're going to see a lot more in terms of the manufacturing and the jobs related to microelectronics that hmm. I think traditionally when you think about the space, you think of someone, you know, just 
working in a in a in a clean room where you expect like a scientist who's very highly educated they have a phd in engineering or something related to the semiconductor realm uh, but i think we're going to see a lot more jobs towards the manufacturing of these things towards the research towards the education and that we're not going to be able to get away from microelectronics as just being a part of our life and just mm. a, a huge component in our workforce. So I think it's going to be seeing more industry, um, you know, w- working in all facets of that industry that just like you think about how big uh, uh, automotive plants are for build, building vehicles and assembling vehicles, you're going to see a lot more of that into these into these foundries, into these big structures that are going to be putting together both the both the research side, as I mentioned, but also just the the building, the working, the machinery, the the, the packaging, the cleaning, all of this. And I really, we're going to need a large workforce to, to do all this, especially yeah. if we're going to be bringing a lot of this that we've previously outsourced back home. So I hmm. think the biggest shift within the next five years is just all this, all the infrastructure that we're going to be hmm. creating and really i think all the jobs that are going to come along with it which is going to be a a, a fantastic side effect of hmm. this work that now we are doing and, and what is going under the chips and science act gotcha well one last like quick little question what are what are you most excited about with commons or other projects that are coming out in the next few months and years Aside for the innovation i like hard challenges, just like I like yeah. the setup of, of this hub model and, and knowing that we're going to have all these different projects and all these different schedules. So I'm excited just to see what the U.S. can do as we roll up our sleeves and mm. tackle these hard problems. Um, it's easy to, to kick the can down the road or worry that we're talk, talk that we're going to worry about the problem, you know, when it becomes a bigger problem. Uh, I think that day and age is, is, is right now. We are looking at mm. what our near peer adversaries are doing. We are looking at what, you know, other countries are doing in the space. And there's a lot that we need to make sure that we take that foothold back and, mm. and really innovate and show why we have the best and brightest people and that we we can do this. So I'm interested mm-hmm. to see not only the the structure that comes along with it, uh, but just that the innovations technology. And at, at heart, I'm a big nerd. So whenever <laughs> there's something new, there's a new software version that comes out for a device or yeah. a new piece of hardware. I love reading about it. I love to see the differences. Mm-hmm. I love to see how things change. So we're going to be having tons and tons of growth in that realm. And I'm just I'm just excited to see what comes yeah. out of it. Sounds like it's a great time to be a technology nerd. <laughs> it sure is. For you. <laughs> great. Yeah, I'm excited to see it all too. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. I know you have very busy schedule, so I really appreciate it. It's been super insightful for me. Um, and again, I'm just excited to see, just like you, what happens in the, the next months and years. So I appreciate it. Thank you. No, I appreciate you having me this morning. Great. I want to thank everyone who listened to the Defense Tech Podcast this season. We had some great conversations with some intelligent people in the industry here at NSTXL. Even though I'm new to the industry, I have a much clearer understanding of the issues surrounding the chips crisis and all the work that is necessary in order to create a solution, as the Microelectronics Commons was created to do. I hope you'll stay tuned in, as this is just the beginning of the Defense Tech Podcast. Series 2 of the podcast will be announced in January, so be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and stay tuned for more announcements to come.